Hey everybody, welcome to Dude Check This Out with Hambone Relay. I'm one of the guys, Rob, and I got Mark over here on the computer. Quick plug, uh, we are putting out a vinyl. The, yes, a vinyl. The age of the CD is over and we're going back in time to the vinyl. People are buying turntables. It's happening. We're putting out a vinyl. It's called Say Hi to Earl. It features eight new songs from your boys, the organ trio, Handbone Relay, and we've been playing them on the road nonstop, and they're evolving, and they sound great, and this recording is a version of what these songs are, and you definitely want to buy this vinyl to hear what we're playing on the road. It's called Say Hi to Earl. It'll be out May 3rd. Guess what? You can pre-order it. That's right, you can pre-order this vinyl. It's going to be cheaper now than when we actually have them, so make sure you go to our website, handbonerelay.com, and pre-order the vinyl. Say hi to Earl. And speaking of touring, we're about to hit the road for the next two weeks. Um, on February 15th and February 16th, we're going down to Virginia to hang out with Squaring the Circle, one of our favorite bands from down south. For first night on uh, the 15th of February, we're going to Richmond to hang at Cary Street Cafe, one of my favorites. And then on Saturday, the 16th of February, Handbone Relay is bringing, Relay is bringing the funk and the jam down to Roanoke at Martin's Downtown, also a Squaring the Circle. It's gonna be a fabulous weekend, we can't wait. And then the next weekend, Hambone Relay will be playing uh, Funk Brewing Company, one of my new favorite venues to play at in Elizabethtown, PA. And then the very next night, we're celebrating our man Russ's birthday. He's one of the main guys over at Dawson Street Pub. It's Russ's birthday, it's gonna be an all out jam on Saturday, February 23rd. Make sure you come out to that. That's gonna be a fabulous night of people sitting in with us. And anyway, those are our tour dates and make sure you pre-order the vinyl. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Dude, check this out, a music podcast where you talk about music from the past and the present with artists of the future, not from the future. I don't know why I say that almost every episode. Quick footnote about this show is that there are so many genres we cannot touch upon all of them. It's impossible. We can't do it. I would love to talk about metal and folk in the same show, but it's almost impossible. So we're going to try our best. If you have something that we want that you want us to talk about or an artist you want us to talk about, please email us at dude. Check this out, musicpodcast at gmail.com. And yes, it's that long. I'm your host, Rob Tate. I'm the drummer from Hambone Relay. On the uh, computer is Mark Brown from Hambone Relay. Hey. He is a booker extraordinaire and leader of the band. Um, if you've never checked out this show, we're about four in. This is our fifth episode. We like to talk about music. We like to talk about good music around. Right now, a lot of people in this industry say there's no more, no more good music and we're in a new era. Everything good was in the 70s or the 60s. It's impossible to find good music. Fuck you. There's plenty of good music. And that's what this whole show is about. We get bring in artists and we talk about music news. We talk about things that in the top 40 that are actually good. Some things that aren't. And we talk about the artists in. We talk about their bio. Today's artist is my man, my brother, Brendan Johnson. How are you, buddy? Yo, Rob. What's up? What's Thanks up? for having me, man. Coming in from laying tile. Working yeah. hard this morning. <laughs> the land of tile. The land of tile. Kitchen tile. Y- you got a place in South Philly. We is do. That correct? Yep. Yeah. Brendan Johnson is of the uh, the band Stella Ruse that's kicking some serious ass. Um, 
Thank you. Kind of from the folk ilk, but they're kind of starting to branch into the jam band scene. Um, quick story about Brendan. I met you via the Vesper days. My drunken days where I was just pretty much wasted every time I played a show. So this is Vesper <laughs> Club, Dinner Club. We uh, played there. Um, I was playing there with John Gilbride every Friday and Saturday at the time. And we were very, uh, or I was very... Uh, possessive of my gigs because I wasn't making much money at the time. And then Brendan came on. Uh, I'm not sure how Derm found you. We'll talk about that. But um, the first time I met you, I met your girlfriend as well. And you two were hilarious because you played the dinner show and then I played yep. after solo. Right. And you guys were making fun of me for the next three hours. It no, was hilarious. We yes, yes, you were. Well, your girlfriend was. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, or fiance. She, she makes fun of me too. So. It's okay. I appreciate that. It kind of makes it interactive at least a little yeah. bit. It's all good. But yeah, man, uh, we just did a, a quick run at uh, Bourbon and Branch. That was a lot of fun. We did. Yeah, it was awesome to have you on for that show. That, that was show sweet. Was, that show was really fun. And then, uh, what was it? Black Horse Motel yep. was in the middle. They were fantastic. Yeah. I hadn't seen them live. They were great. That was a great night. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I had a quick question for you, because I actually don't know the answer is, uh, where did you, quick siren, <laughs> when did music start for you? When did you start playing? Pretty early on. I was, uh, I was always pretty athletic when I was little. I'm, a, I'm from a family of five brothers, five total boys, and two girls, so I was always pretty competitive with my brothers and I was pretty athletic but then there came a time in grade school when all my friends started hitting puberty and just started getting like tall and masculine and and more athletic and I didn't I was just like a late bloomer I didn't I don't think I hit a growth spurt till like senior year of high school it was that bad so at that time as all my friends started becoming more um you know taller and just uh, more physical I I had a concussion in football, like my eighth grade year of football, and uh, and I just decided like then and there, like, okay, life's trying to tell me something here. This isn't for me, this football, basketball thing. Um, I was always pretty, uh, I was pretty gritty out there, you know, I, I scrapped pretty well with them, but um, I just, it just came, came kind of dawned on me you know, that, uh, that I, I wasn't meant to do that. So my, my dad always had a piano in the house, my parents, and uh, my dad's a musician. Um, and I would always mess around a little bit in the fourth grade. I took sax lessons and, um, I think in that realization from switching, switching to athletics to, to music that I finally like kind of took it on, like personalized it and said, this is going to be for me. Was it pretty quick, the transition, going from from athletics to music? Yeah. I think I think it was in within like a six-month period, probably. Okay. Because I started being interested in learning how to play through a couple friends that I had at school that also uh, were switching from like the athletic thing to music. And they were like, let's do a band, you know. And, were all you at the same time kind of realizing and all of us, you did not yep. have the athletic durability yeah and we just kind of liked each other and it was like this is a cool thing for us to do this can be our thing and they needed uh there was like three guitar players and they needed a bass player and i was like 
Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll I'll do the bass thing. <laughs> what's a, what's enough. a bass? You know? <laughs> and that's well, hold on, back to saxophone. So, were you playing saxophone in like elementary school, middle school? Yeah, uh, fourth grade. Did you pick or did your parents pick? I picked. Okay, well that's cool. The guy came in, you know, and he's mm-hmm. and he does the whole thing, and uh, I was like, I like sax. That's cool. I think I did it for like two weeks. My mom, <laughs> my mom was like, you're not practicing like you're supposed to be. And I'm like, yeah, I know. She was like, do you want to keep going? You know, and I knew my parents, you know, with all these kids, you didn't have two pennies to rub together. And I, I knew that it was a thing. So I was like, no, mom, it's okay. I'll just keep playing on the piano. And that's when you were living in Merchantville, correct? Were you? Um, I actually grew up in central Pennsylvania. Okay. Where's the, that? Uh, the Harrisburg area. Okay. Me- small suburb, Mechanicsburg. Mechanicsburg, not Mechanicsville. Yeah. My bad. Oh, you're yeah, yeah. That's close. Yeah, so we uh, we record out in Harrisburg. We were just talking about. Oh it. yeah, yeah. Had a friend of ours, but um. Nice. How did you grow up there your whole childhood? Or? Yep. Well, I was actually uh, I was born in Savannah. Mm-hmm. My brother and I, my oldest, so I'm the third, and my 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 sister was born in Philly. We moved to Savannah. My brother and I were born there. We moved back to Philly till I lived till I was four. Mm-hmm. And my dad took a job with Amtrak in Harrisburg, and that's how we ended up in Mechanicsburg, where my three younger brothers were born. That's a great gig. And okay, I so what's the order? One more time. It's your sister. Yep. Your your eldest brother, you, sister. Boy, 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 girl. Oh, uh, okay. My dad, after my parents split, my dad remarried. I have a half-sister. Oh, right on. So it's like bookends are girls with five boys in the middle. Yeah. God bless their heart. Your, yeah. your sisters having yes. to deal with all Both. Your- did, did all of you play? Um, music? Yeah. Yeah, everyone plays a little bit. I will say that. Um, my sister doesn't go far from the church. She's more of a singer. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the rest of us all um, dabble pretty good. I'm the only one that's done it professionally, but um, yeah, everyone plays. You guys ever do the uh, the family thing? You play together at the, the holidays? Yeah, and, like the partridge thing? Yeah, the partridge. <laughs> Was that your interview with... Uh, Logan, Trap Rabbit. He did, he did a bit of that. He yeah. played with uh, his um, his siblings. But I was curious if you kind of grew up work the same way that I did, which is, you know, like if your dad played and you guys like all sat around and yep. played cover tunes. There were a few gigs when we were little where he brought us up. He was big into James Taylor, still is. And he brought us up the whole family one time at a gig for, I think it was like a work function. And they knew that he played. So they had him come and do uh, Shower the People by James Taylor. Oh, I love that song. It's yeah. so good. You guys do like little kid harmonies at yep. the end. And we the all did. We all. Yep. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Mark, do you know that song? I do not. Oh, that's a good one. Show them you're, you're the soulless. way you feel. That's such a good tune. Um, yeah. So your dad did play then. Did he yeah. play a lot of gigs in town or was he kind of like specifically Amtrak weekend warrior type of thing? Uh, well, I guess as I get older, he had switched jobs and I think he, yeah, he started insurance around that time and he wasn't doing it out until I got a little older, or at least I didn't notice he was doing it out. Mm. And he started playing bars again and uh, I was kind of like, hmm, I couldn't go to those gigs. So I was always like, where's dad going? <laughs> you know? You're thinking like other family or something like that? Yeah, right. Like, another family or stuff? <laughs> yeah. What about your mom? Did she sing at all or? Um... More of a fan than a um, musician or songwriter herself. Um, but her brother, Joe, mm. and my dad were best friends growing up. Before my dad had any romantic interest in my mom. 
he was best friends with her younger brother. And they grew up playing guitar together. Uh, his name's Joe Corcoran. You might have met my cousin, Ryan Corcoran, who plays in the area. I think we met. Yeah. Yeah. With Moon Poodle is mm-hmm. his band. And, um, yeah, my dad and my Uncle Joe, you know, once my parents obviously married uh, every family function, while my parents were still together, my Uncle Joe would be there playing with my dad. And that was really, for all of us growing up, such a cool thing because it was like them getting together to play guitar and it was like a thing, you know, it became kind of memorialized in my head that, oh, this is cool, you know. Did you pick up bass or acoustic guitar first? Acoustic guitar first just because he had one around. I never had one. Mm. And then my first instrument ever was a bass guitar. My instrument. Yeah, you you bought it or did they buy it for you? It was a gift. It was a graduation gift my eighth grade year it was grade school oh, very graduation. cool so your dad was showing you at least some guitar and mm-hmm. some some things that he could play right? yeah and buddies and buddies would come over and be like all right let me show you you know a g chord and a d chord and you ever hear this song you know by oasis you know <laughs> i think that was it's everyone's first song you right? know this tit song take it easy by right. the eagles and you're like mm, this is so good and then you get older you're like oh damn it right <laughs> So true. Oh man, we need need more caffeine, more coffee. What did your mom do? Uh, my mother still is today. Always managed. Uh, she's a manager of doctors' offices, so HR and different uh, um, managerial skills she has had. <laughs> okay, was she still there though? She is with a dermatologist company now in York, awesome. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Did you she ever, still lives out? Did you ever? In- well, I'm sure as a kid, what were you originally planning to be as a kid? Like, um, when you grew up, like something like your, what your dad was doing, more blue collar? Or? No, it was always kind of athlete or musician for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it was always shooting for the stars, man. What was the incident in eighth grade that put you out, the concussion? What, what would you, what'd you play? So, I was pretty short, even in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, How tall were you? Uh, hmm. I, I was, or even give us like a comparison. How much shorter were you like the average than the average kid in eighth grade? I was probably like four eight between four eight and five two. Like I I was much shorter than the average. Okay. And but I was fast, right? I was real fast. So it was my eighth grade year, and we were whooping this team. And my coach, who remembered that I was a running back when I was really little, was like, "Brennan, you want the ball?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes." Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. It was a 121 waggle, which is like an end-around sweep. Uh-huh. I got the ball, and I probably made it about 15 yards. I was moving before the safety came over and just went whack, helmet to helmet. And I, next thing I remember, even looking back on this memory, is my dad sitting next to me on the bench, like, look, staring at me like... Like, my dad was, wasn't even a coach. He obviously saw he what happened. He came and- down. Oh and my God! You don't remember anything from being off the No, field. I remember. I remember the play. I remember the conversation with my coach, but I don't remember what happened. I just remember waking up on the bench. My dad was like, "You all right?" <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So for okay. So that's like. Is that the last game you ever played, or did you? I definitely played another game. I was mostly defense at that point. Okay. But uh, but I realized after I didn't play anymore that game. But mm-hmm. I, I had played another game and. Um, after seeing the doctor, he was like, you had a concussion. Excuse me. 
you had a you had a concussion and yeah, what a terrible word for somebody who happens to have a who anybody right. has like a speech thing concussion right um okay so from that point you play one more game and then you're out and then yeah. you're, six months later you're beginning to kind of pick up the instruments mm-hmm. and the piano and the guitar right do you ever play with your dad and your uncle when you're that young or uh yeah he let me jump on the harmonica a bunch and i was i was um kind of a uh um for i would take on their their vocal tones and like try to match their you know their melodies so i think i was doing more than i thought i was doing in looking back were you harmonizing at the time I wasn't singing outright. I think okay. I was doing more in my head and, and listening, you mm-hmm. know. Sometimes you need that incubation period. Definitely. Right? To kind of like really sit in it. And yeah. then when you're older, all that watching it, your dad do it and yeah. your uncle, it starts to come out. Mm-hmm. I felt the same way. Um, my dad sang a lot. Every time we went up to Canada, even at home, we uh, he would play my... Um, my grandparents like fam- family reunions for Christmas, and he'd play for hours, wasted. In fact, do you remember? Do you know? Does your dad drink and play? Oh yeah. Maybe you can resonate with this. My dad drinks and does whatever. <laughs> <laughs> My dad learns tunes mm-hmm. drunk, and he can't remember them until he's back at that point. Oh yeah. That that. Did you ever find Study your dad? Study high, that, take the test high, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, the, yeah. You remember more when you're in that state, right? My that's, dad loves red wine, and he would. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying my dad's a lush, well, maybe a little bit, but like he he would remember so many tunes. We would go into like four o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there because I don't really. I'm bad at talking to people when I was a kid, so I'm just taking it all in. And and later, when I'm starting to sing out at open mics, and my dad would come by, my dad and I would sing the same, and people would comment on it. And I, and my explanation is, I was sitting there till four o'clock in the morning hearing him sing. And I was curious if you had a similar situation. Do your dad and you sing pretty similarly? Bowel uh, color and things? I've heard people say that before. Yeah, I think so. I, and I think I had a, an infatuation with um, not only the music, which was emotional for me because he would sing to us when we were going to sleep, you know, lullabies and that type of thing, but um, just kind of being there while people gathered around him and my uncle, especially at the family stuff. And like seeing people's reaction to the songs he chose to play, and my dad's always been a songwriter too. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes, especially at the family gatherings, he would play his own songs, and that's when it kind of dawned on me, like, oh wow! So people appreciate the songs that he's been writing. You know, it doesn't have to be a James Taylor song, it doesn't have to be a Neil Young song, um, and uh, you know, that's when I kind of dove in. You know, yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Now you pick up the bass. Is this the Juice, the band The Juice? So members from The Juice were I grew up with in high school. Okay. Yeah, guy by the name of Ian Moran, phenomenal guitar player. Um, and uh, Ian and I, when we got to college, started The Juice. Yeah, which oh, okay. is a great pool by you, by the way. I, I did a lot of that. stalking, dude. That is impressive. Um, so. What's the band before that in high school? Like, were you doing like cover we, gigs? Well, as you probably can relate, both you and Mark, you know, in high school you go through like eighty different band names. Oh yeah, with, mm-hmm. you, know. you go on. Well, I uh, just Google and like just yeah. band generator yeah. or whatever you can find. I think we were called American American 
uh, handstand. That's not too bad. Which is really similar to American Bandstand, that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, McMorrison Blues Review. That's pretty it was, rough. I'm McC- just kidding. It was McCor- <laughs> McCormick, Moran, and Johnson, so McMorrison Blues Review. Um, and then we got a little bit more kind of psychedelic. And we we uh, refined our sound a little bit, and then we we stuck with the name for a while, for like a year before we all went to college, and it was Aura Euphoria. That's a good one too. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Is that when you kind of dive into the jam scene, like yeah. jam music? Like yeah, ish? we started playing a lot of Almond Brothers, mm. you know, Mountain Jam, you know, 20, oh. 25 minute Mountain Jams. Okay, so were you playing mm. like three hour gigs when you're at college? Yeah. So then, you know, kind of jumping from that group to college ian went to temple and i was at phil U in uh, east falls area and we had met a drummer from LaSalle by the name of blaine neshaw and uh we decided to start jamming with each other one another and uh that's when the juice kind of came to be in these concrete basements of college just <laughs> you know drinking jungle juice and like temple basements smoking lots of reefer yeah and it was just like, you know, the best the best of times, you know? Yeah. You're getting wasted and hanging out with girls and yep. playing psychedelic music. And, and uh, yeah, and that's when, like, one of our good friends who ended up being the manager of our band, and Andy Troutman, decided, like, you know, you guys should probably name this. And, like, we should probably, like, do this. Mm-hmm. And that's when the juice came to be. Yeah. That's a good name. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Did, were you the first? Do you know? Uh, there was a hip hop artist by the name of the Juice. Oh, okay, I think right around the same time as us. You guys figured like, ah, we'll just do it. And... Honestly, um, I'm not sure. I don't think we had any conf. I think that in as we began to grow in popularity in college, I think that's when we discovered there's another Juice. Okay. So we, either we forgot the research and <laughs> as we were choosing our name, mm-hmm. or uh, it just wasn't a thing until it. it didn't matter but hey, so you're you're the juice at this point with your yeah. buddy and um you said you're going to p pu philadelphia yep. university what yep. were you studying at pu i was i thought i wanted to go because i was kind of artistic then and i thought i wanted to go the uh, architecture architectural route mm-hmm. and just realized how over my head i was and in what way um just the amount of um um the amount of work and the amount of, they really try to sift out those that really aren't in it for life. And I'm kind of glad they did because a lot of friends that graduated with architectural degrees didn't have jobs for a long time coming out of school with a lot of that debt. So I ended up transferring to Temple. Okay. Because I was no longer pursuing that major and really just at that point just wanted to appease my parents and get the degree kind of thing. But the juice was a lot of fun. It was like electronic fish meets disco biscuits kind of original music that we had done. And uh, yeah, we did okay. Did okay. And at that point, were you guys uh, playing a lot of gigs in Philly, just basement shows or a mix of both? Or yeah, so we kind of grew kind of grew from like the basement party bands to um, doing doing more in and around Philly. Uh, the, 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 the venues I remember most is like Mill Creek Tavern in West Philly. Mm-hmm. If you remember that one, we played mm-hmm. the fire a few times, North star bar. Uh, one of my least favorite venues. Yeah. North star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a weird, kind of a weird place. 
Um, and then, yeah, we started playing outside of Philly. We started playing out in uh, Harrisburg a little bit. And um, we ended up having some sort of a relationship with Mark Brownstein from the Disco Biscuits and got invited up to be one of his contest winners for the Camp Bisco in 2000 and oh. 2006. Wow, How cool remember. is that, dude? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and we, uh, around the same time, we started our own music festival called Muddy River Jam Festival. I was going to ask that next. Where was had, that? Um, we had it at a few different locations. Originally, it started in Harrisburg, my dad's backyard. Mm-hmm. And we, um, any money we made, we'd give to charity, uh, friends, local charity. And uh, we ended up bringing it to Philly and growing it. And like our best year, we ended up having it at Snipes Farm. Um, not far from here in Morris, Morrisville, Morrisville. Is yeah. that where they have the, the beards, beard fest now? Do you know? No, it's in Jersey somewhere. It's in like Hamilton, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of farm out here in Jersey. There should be more festivals. And then we moved it to Salem County the okay. year after that, mm-hmm. which is yeah. In Jersey as well. But, uh, been to it so well. What was your best year? What were you like pulling in and donating? If you don't mind me asking. Um, well, we, I always judged our success on attendance, and our best year we had like right around fifteen hundred people. Wow! Yeah, dude. P groove, petrol groove, mm-hmm. um, and we were actually supposed to have Lotus headline that year. Yeah, they bail out or what happened? Yeah, uh, we lost the bid because that same weekend, Sound Tribe Sector Nine had offered to them to play a show with them at Penn's Landing in Philly. And yeah, you, you, gotta you, take you don't that. turn that down if you're Lotus. You don't turn that down if you're anyone. The problem with that was it was the same exact weekend as our festival, and it directly conflicted with our audience. Mm-hmm. And that was the year, that was the final year that we did it because we, we just lost a ton of money. That's terrible. Yeah. At this point, does the juice kind of fizzle out? or? Yeah, after that, the juice. And the juice was kind of musically already on the descent because everyone had graduated and it was like, okay, you know, shit or get off the pot. Like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Are we going to keep doing this or are we going to get jobs and like try to be? It was the majority call that everyone wanted out. Or just kind of I felt th- that way. Everybody I, th- wanted to I move think on. that's, yeah, I, I always really wanted to keep going, man. But uh, yeah, I was... I was on the minority in that. That's a shame. Um, and the festival actually began to grow so much that people were actually thinking about doing that full time. That that would be the, you That'd know. That become like what the band would do. Right. But the juice wouldn't exist. You guys right. just be part of the mm-hmm. the co-founders. Yeah. And that and I think that's kind of where the rub came as well, mm. where part of the fizzle happened. You know. That's such a shame. So does that festival still exist then? No. Oh, that's a no shame. No longer. Yeah. So cool, it is though. a bummer. Maybe one day. Who knows? So at that point, are you still living in Philly at that point? Yeah. And I was with a real estate developer out of King of Prussia doing that thing. And he relocated me to Newport, Rhode Island for a year. So yeah. that was the other reason where all this kind of fizzled was the relocation and the whole thing. And and I really stepped away from music for, I don't know, a good two years at that point. I was wow. going through a breakup and like all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like... Life was like... You needed to kind of live your life and not... Yeah. Be mm-hmm. in that limelight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you move back to Philly. Yep. Is that around the same time you start playing Manny Unk doing cover gigs? Yeah, not long after I moved back to Philly, um, I met the owner of McGillicuddy's and Manny Unk, mm-hmm. Randy Franklin. What's mm-hmm. up, Randy? Shout out. <laughs> and uh, 
he had heard through somebody that I played music or used to play music, and he was like, why don't you come in and I'll throw you a couple hundred bucks, you know? And I was like, well, that sounds lovely. <laughs> I need to get out more anyway. Right. In that point, you're still working. Are you still working with a uh, a housing company? Or I was. A, uh, I just. I was fired. Yeah. Oh no. I, I, I moved back to Philly because I was let go from that. Everyone pretty much up there lost their job. It was a crumbling uh, real estate development, mm-hmm. and uh, I got on it like the the worst time. And yeah, you didn't uh, know until you got up there. Yep. So they gave me a little bit of a severance because they kind of messed me up um but it came back and allowed me to like really like start over yeah so you're so you pick up the guitar again you start playing acoustic at jd Mm -hmm. mcgillicuddy's how often are you playing there i was playing there like uh, three times a month twice two or two or three times a month that's really great Mm -hmm. and i was living in my buddy's basement he was just letting me crash in the basement yep What's your buddy's name? Doug Smith. Shout out to Doug Smith. Shout out to Doug Smith. You're the you're the reason music exists. And now his sir. wife, Alicia. Oh. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So you're playing there three times a month. Yeah. And you're meeting people. people musicians come in. Mm-hmm. At some, what point do you meet Mason? Yeah, so um, my buddy Will Lottie used to work at J.G. Wentworth. Remember that? Mm-hmm. uh that commercial? The J.G. Wentworth. It's What's my that? money, and I want it now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's the connection? <laughs> so Will was like, my buddy Brendan's been playing at, um, he's saying this to me, so my buddy Brendan's been playing in, at this bar in Maniac. You should come hang out sometime after work. So Mason came to a gig, and we got chatting, you know, became friendly with one another. And eventually he was like, hey, by the way, I play piano ever want to jam Mm -hmm. and I was doing like a lot of different stuff just to bring in as much cash at the time and um, somebody had actually my brother was doing a marketing video for like an advertising thing and he needed music for it and I um, have done small stuff like that on my own account but never produced it and Mason in that whole it was like right there he was like oh I went to school for production I went to Drexel for production you want me to help? Destiny. So our first actually gig, Mason and I was, you know, at his house on his computer doing this commercial for this How dude. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so you guys are becoming friendly doing this commercial. Right. Does he go to his buddy Alex and say, hey, yeah. this is Guy, and do you guys become, the three of you become pretty friendly after that? Well, right around the same time, um, some guy got up to jam with me at McGillicuddy's, mm-hmm. and um, he was a great he was an electric guitar player and he was just like an awesome player. And I was like, just kind of thinking about recording my own solo stuff. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. And I was like, do you happen to know any female vocalists? I've, I've really, I really hear a, a female voice in this particular song I wrote. And he was like, yeah, you got to meet my friend, Katie Burke. I play with her sometimes at Lucky's in Maniunk. Mm-hmm. And that's where Katie came into the picture. So she ended up coming to a Cuddy's gig right around the same time that Mason did. And she jumped up with me on stage because she knew I was going to play like X, Y, or Z. And like we hadn't even had a rehearsal and she was up there singing with me. And like right away it was like, you know, sparks were flying. And I was like, we should probably do this again. Mm-hmm. She was like, definitely. <laughs> so um, that's kind of how I met her right around the same time. And then so then it was three of us, Katie, Mason, and I. Okay. And Mason, you know, being so close with Alex. Who's a, a fantastic trumpet player? Trumpet player, and also went to Drexel for production. And he was uh, he was a stagehand, and uh, he ran sound at Milk Boy for many years. Oh wow! And uh, Alex was like, 
you know, kind of the next shoe in just to come hang out with us. And he does a lot of percussion stuff too. So it was kind of the four of us kind of threw in with one another and it was like, you know. Well, who decided that it should be a thing? Were you kind of leading being like, hey, we should probably meet up and try to like make something together or who, who initiated it? Well, I think that I always desired it, but um, I think that Mason and Alex were looking for a group. Mm -hmm. They had played with a few other bands in the area, and like no one was really either doing it for them or, or maybe weren't taking it seriously enough for them. So when they met me and saw that Katie and I had something kind of going with original songs, I think they were enticed. I think they were like, this is cool. Let's see what happens. And uh, I think that's kind of the four of us just kind of blended. It was like right place, right time. Mm -hmm. You know, where all of us were kind of looking for that. Now, both of them, uh, Alex Steyer and um, Mason, are both classically trained. Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So they're doing the Drexel production side, and you two are from, very much from the the family band playing songs together. We'll call it Campfire Kumbaya side. Definitely. So yeah. the meeting of those two minds helped create the aesthetic that is Stella Root. For sure. Yeah. And Katie, too, has a lot of classical training in the church and outside. Um, her entire, her dad's a great musician. Her entire family plays. Oh, wow. As well. Um, yeah, so I'd probably, I'd probably say I'm like the least, um, you know, music theory, you know, trained out of the three of them. Okay. Four of us, yeah. But Katie, she plays mandolin as well. Yep. Is she, uh, how do I put this? Is she, is she, can she solo on the mandolin or is she pretty much just uh, rhythm mandolin, we'll call it? Yeah, I mean, she's gotten, I, I think for Mando, for her, was really um, trying to add that extra element to the band and us, us kind of like, she had gotten one. She has a uke at home. She has a mandolin at home. And she had got one from her now husband, Brian. Shout out, Brian. Thanks a lot for that mandolin you bought, um, <laughs> Katie. So sweet of you. That, and we had already had, I was already holding it down on guitar. And, she, and Katie's a great guitar player as well. Um, where we kind of motivated her a little bit and said, you know, this mandolin thing might be something we could do. And, and ever since then, she's gotten you know, better and better and better every year. So. And it's the four of you mm -hmm. create... Stella Ruse. Yep. The original Stella Ruse. We were the original. And that's back in 20, what, 14? Uh, yeah, 2014, I think. Late, late 14. How often were you guys playing together then? Just like gigs and things. Just like trying to get covers, your stuff. I think a lot of it was just the continuation of McGillicuddy's. I was growing bored with just myself all the time, and it was just a guaranteed gig. And it was, you know. Were you looping a lot at the time? Um, a Yeah, on my own. Mm-hmm. I just started getting into it at that time, yeah. Okay. But um, at the beginning, not really. I, I never owned one until after I met Katie. She mm. actually lent me hers. What was it, the, uh, the boss again. one, or was it the... Uh... Um, is that the blue one, the double? I don't know the blue one. The, I wish I knew the names. There's the is, small red one that's like the boss. Is That's the loop station, right? The loop, the, there's yeah. the big one that like John Gilbride has. That's, right. um, I, don't know, I don't know what that is. Is, that, is that the blue the one? Is that the, no, I don't know yeah. about a blue one. The blue one. I don't know. I, <laughs> anyway. I, I had a loop station forever. I don't know what the... Which is the boss one. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Okay. Is it blue? It doesn't matter. So that's a, I wish I knew the name. <laughs> um, if only we had the internet. Hold on. 
We can do this. What color? Loop, pedal what color do you have? is the looper pedal? Yeah. How colorful is your pedal board? Um, <laughs> there's a loop. The Boss RC1 loop station. That's the small red guy. Okay. It's not that one. And then there's the Boss RC30, which is the double pedal thing. And then there's the seven, the Electro Harmonic 720. Is that the one that you had? No. Yes. <laughs> the Electro Harmonics one, yeah. I don't know if you can see that far. This one? I can't see that. But yeah, it's kind of like greenish, right? Yeah, it's see, it's all about colors, dude. Yeah. yeah that's that the one I had. Yeah. There's a point to having, hey, ladies and gentlemen, good, good it's talk. this one. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, okay, so you're getting off the loop station. You're getting a band to come right. in. Are you playing Mumford style with the foot bass drum at this point? Yeah. And I think once we, yeah, once we had the four of us, it was like, it was kind of like, and a lot of my songs were already had that four to the floor kind of, you know, um, percussion feel and rhythm. So it was kind of natural for me to just go like, I had one at the house, kick drum at the house already. And I was like, why don't I just kick that? And Alex was doing like a whole bunch of tambourine and different shaker stuff. Katie as well. So it was a nice little folky uh, medley. Okay. And at that time, she was playing the mandolin. It was... Yeah, she was doing the mandolin and uh, throwing in percussion mm. on that. Mm-hmm. So at this Which, point, you're playing together for a while. You go into the studio. Whose studio did you record the first album with? Uh, Kawari. Kawari Sound in Jenkintown. Oh, with Matt Murr or Muir? So that was our second. Our first album was with uh, Zach Goldstein. Okay. And... Um, we had just kind of um, been introduced to Kawari, and we said, you know, who do you, who, who's who's a good engineer to work with? We were going to produce the whole thing, and it was our own song, so we just kind of needed somebody to, to know the gear. And Zach was Zach was perfect for that first kind of entry level. We we recorded eight songs in like a day and a half. All these songs were played out, and you know, so well rehearsed that we just went in and like laid everything down and. That's really we great. Out. Yeah. Was it all done live? Yeah. Yep. And we went back and you can feel that on the record tracking stuff. Definitely. Yeah, especially with like. Um, wish I knew some of the names. Uh, I've been checking out the music really hard for about a week. I wish I remembered some of the mm-hmm. song names, but you can really tell on on the record that there's definitely it has a room energy. vibe. Yeah. Room energy. I know for us when we do handbone stuff, we do um, like the bottom stuff first. So mm-hmm. it's like you know me, Mark's. Um, uh, either a scratch organ track and then like a real bass track mm-hmm. uh, with his left hand, and then Luke will be playing like a, a almost legit guitar track. Luke, well, Luke Luke usually records live. The only yeah. thing that's not live is the organ, and the main reason for that is because we can't bring this to Harrisburg very easily. He, uh, mm-hmm. Ladies so. and gentlemen, he's pointing at uh, oh, our sorry. Leslie. <laughs> but um, yeah, that thing's beautiful. So we we lay like the bottom track, and that's how we kind of get our live-ish okay. vibe because it's almost impossible to do everything at once. At yeah. That particular studio. So, how much overdubbing yeah. did you do on the first record? Was it pretty much you just laid the whole band and then do the vocals after, or did you do everything at once? Um, I think Kawari has a really nice setup in that a lot of it is separate. So, if you wanted to go back and scrap stuff and do overdubs, you can. Mm. I just think because we were so tight on cash and time that we we kind of we kept a lot of our we kept a lot of the first performances as they were. Of course, we went back and redid vocals for everything. Um, you know, we had a scratch vocal, and then we went back and did all new stuff. We did some different comps for um, the Rhodes and Oregon. They have some really nice 
they have a really nice keys at Kauari. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um, and, uh, and Zach provided kind of that first intro level for us into the studio to just kind of, you know, get our beak wet and just like have a total blast doing it. Um, I think the, the most successful songs from that first record are Remember June. Mm, yeah, that's right. And um, Somebody Told Me, probably. Mm-hmm. But even listening back to both of those, it's like, oh my God, it feels like forever ago. Well, that one actually has your mo- the most listens on your, at least your Spotify page is Remember June. It's definitely, uh, people definitely like that song. Mm-hmm. Do you play it out a lot? Is it a yeah. staple? Yeah, we try to. We, we kind of, we look at that stuff. We look at see and see what songs people listen to and what they like and try to try to you know play to do the crowd. that. Yeah, I mean, so you do that record. It's just the four of you. Are you playing all those songs for like a couple years and then decide, hey, we're going back in, or what was? Did you write more tunes or did you guys write together for this next EP that you guys did? Yeah. Well, the coolest part about this kind of grouping of people is that. Um, everyone kind of shared the same philosophy and I didn't take that for granted because of the days with the juice where sometimes not everyone agreed. Mm. Um, in Stella Ruse, even from the very first happening of it, there was always like, Hey, let's grow this thing. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're growing it for or, or what goals we necessarily had in mind, but we all had that same kind of sentimentality or what, what am I trying to say? Sentiment that, you know, this, we could grow this. So any gig we made from any, or any money we made from any gig, it went into a band fund Mm -hmm. and we decided to, to leave it there until we wanted to use it for something, you know, which, which is also, I guess, a nice thing that all of us were at least well off enough doing our own real jobs that we were able to, to do that. Yeah, it's always um, nice to have where everybody will sacrifice their pay yeah. for for the good of the group if they they're making enough money on their day gig doing whatever. Yeah, which is hard too because yeah. you're like I could use that I don't know two hundred bucks to go you know oh my put gosh. towards my house or something. Yeah. I'm sure there are times where you guys are really torn about it, mm-hmm. putting it into the band fund. We have that debate a lot. Yeah, um, I'm sure most all bands really could relate to this conversation. Because yeah, absolutely. You always have to have that conversation like. Uh, my pay, I'm not getting enough for my day gig. Can mm-hmm. we take this one home? Can we, do we put this toward new merch? Which, by the way, if you haven't seen Stella Ruse's merch, some of it's pretty awesome. You should definitely go check it out. Um, but we, we're getting ready to put out new merch. And we have, me and Mark have done a lot of talking. Like, okay, do we take the money from this gig, put it to here? This money goes to here. This money goes to our next big project. So I'm sure you guys were having that conversation oh, yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Was it pr- relatively easy? You all agreed pretty much so really from the very beginning it was like hey you know i think we started we paid ourselves at the very beginning and then it was kind of like hmm we're only making like a hundred bucks a gig Mm -hmm. when we take home thirty dollars each you know thirty to sixty dollars each like where is it really going easy pass bro yeah right (laughs) it all goes to easy pass (laughs) sometimes we look at our easy pass bill and we go what what uh was it the turnpike if you have a trailer going to Harrisburg, what was the total? To, to, uh, with From the trailer, Philly to Harrisburg it was like forty bucks, forty dollars, like thirty-eight dollars, or something. Yeah, because with the trailer, the tr- yeah. with the with their trailer, we yeah, we've had to take all of the organ and the drums from Philly to Harrisburg. So is it like paying for paying for two vehicles then? Yeah, it's, pretty much. You're paying by the axles, so there's so you have three axles instead of two. So oh and my there's gosh, no, there's no three categories, so it's two 
and then it goes up to four. So if you're in between your three, you count as a four axle vehicle. So it's like 40 bucks. Oh my gosh. So the, the George Washington Bridge going into New England, it's like, what is this? It's like $47 or something. It's Jesus Christ. It's almost better to just get like a RV and throw all your shit in it and all the people. Tell me about it, bro. Well, next <laughs> purchase is a van. so We're going to get a van van. Well, I love this because that's where, that's kind of where we are, you know, thinking like about the, uh, the where, you, white where you want to throw, you know, the weight of the money or whatever. Yeah, that's something that people don't necessarily know is that like people, well, people that I've run into, I'll say I'm generalizing a little bit here, but they, they think you're making so much money from these shows where there's like tons of people. They're like, you're rolling in it, right? And you have to kind yeah. of be like, nah, this $200 is going towards gas. Right. Right. And what else? Gas, McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's, <laughs> that that uh, supersize me fry <laughs> on the way home. Right. So let me ask you this: What comes first? Uh, you discover Ted, you're the bass player Ted, or you guys go into the studio again to record? What kind of happens first? So outside of Stella Ruse, the four of us, I was always playing solo gigs because I still needed that solo money. Exactly, um, and that's where we met at Vesper. That was partially you know during this era and um i had made a relationship with mikey jr at twisted tail the harmonica player yeah Mm -hmm. um who also performed at vesper a few times around that same time Mm -hmm. um and in meeting mikey i just realized his network was huge you know the philly musicians in and outside of philly and um, i was thinking of some sax parts on some of these new songs i was writing and that's when i reached out to mikey and said do you know anyone who you recommend for sax. He sent me a bunch of names, and that's where we found Vince. So mm-hmm. it was actually Vince was ultimately the catalyst in meeting um, Sean and then Ted. Oh, okay. Um, same thing with, with Sean, um, because we had gone back into the studio and worked with Matt Muir, and he's such a good drummer, we ended up using his, um, his drums on the record. This was the most recent record we did. It's just a self-titled EP. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided we wanted to replicate that live. And some of the song, newer songs I was writing, we, we wanted that drummer feel. So Mikey, same thing, recommended Sean. And um, it wasn't until we had Sean kind of locked in and just, just like really, all of us were really jiving that we were like, okay, we need a bass player. <laughs> you know, it's always it's, that last it's piece. It's official. And I think Sean really appreciated that too. Uh, being a drummer, it's just like mm-hmm. attaching that. Mason held, holds it down pretty good on the left hand, as does Mark over here. Yeah, but um, he does okay. I'm just kidding. There was a point where uh, Mason was kind of like, uh, on top of that, Mason was kind of like, yeah, it wouldn't be bad to free up, to free up this left hand a little bit. Yeah, and, and then he could do more voicings and kind of play around mm-hmm. with some of his effects. I'm sure. Yeah, he's busy. <laughs> and that's when uh, Vince actually recommended that we, oh, we, we okay. reach out to Ted. You know, it's a funny story about Vince is me and him actually went to a summer UArts program, University of the Arts program, and we knew each other, what year would have that been? 2006. He was telling me this, yeah. Yeah. Because I was going to try to, well, before we rescheduled yesterday, he was going to come yesterday because he was... Oh, that would have been fun. I know. I know, I'm bumming, so I'm the only one here, but... Sorry, sorry. Vince. Shout out, Vince. Peace. Um, But yeah, we knew each (laughs) other, and we did the, the whole big band thing, and... University of the Arts. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's what it was. It's okay. Anyway, so you guys, before you get 
Ted and Sean and Vince. You, you're already in the studio mm-hmm. with Matt at Quarry. Is that right? Yep. And you have Philly legend Ben Arnold with you as well. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, how did that happen? Did so, Ben like see you at Dawson Street or something? I had met Ben at Dawson. Okay. Um, but it happened because I... Um, do you know Andrew Jude? Yeah. Uh, I went to school with Andrew. And I heard his record when he was working with Matt in the studio. Ben had come in just to help him with some of his songwriting. He was a you know, much newer songwriter and uh, was looking for that extra little bit creative juice. And I heard his record and I was like, AB, this record sounds awesome. Like, what did you do? And mm-hmm. he was like, well, I worked with Ben and I worked with Matt. And I said, okay, you know. Uh, I would like to take take the same approach. I mean, I'm not an ego guy. Like, if somebody could help me make a song better, I don't care who it is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, no holds bar. If it gives us a chance to get that big break, I'm on it. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't care. And that's when I, I met Ben at Dawson, and I was like, you are Ben Arnold. You worked with my buddy AB. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, would you be interested in, in helping me, you know, just perf- make my so- make my stuff better? And he was like, absolutely, you know, Matt's one of my best friends. I've known Matt forever. So Ben and I started meeting up before we went into the studio. And then um, once we jump, jumped in with Matt, Ben just, you know, came over just to kind of listen in and see how things were coming along and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are working on the songs before you take them to the band, or are you doing both simultaneously? Uh, a little bit of both, yeah. Because the newer stuff, I wanted to show the band immediately. Mm-hmm. And before we went into the studio, I just wanted to have some of those songs a little bit more refined. So I was working with Matt before that, just him and I. And then kind of going in the studio as, as a band. Oh, wow. Okay. So is Ben coming to the studio at the same time? Sometimes. We, we had like, uh, I don't know, four or five different sessions with Matt. Mm-hmm. I think Ben came to like two of them. Okay. Yeah. Was it, was it as helpful as you thought it would be before you guys worked together? I think, yeah, I think it always is. I think just getting that extra, you know, unsolicited critique, you know, just honest, you know, and a guy like Ben who has such a good ear for hooks and, you know, and different things just, I think, help to um, bring the bring the most out of some of these songs. And, you know, just also being, you know, honest about some of the lyrics, like that, that line seems a little lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, is that really what you wanted to say there? And I'm like, hmm, yeah, I guess it is lazy. And then you'd have to think on it's lazy for a as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes I would appreciate that kind of unsolicited uh, criticism. Yeah, and I, I think too, like my family, I love them to death. You know, they've been supporting me in this crazy dream of mine for my whole life, and you know, God love them. Anytime I show them a song, there's nothing ever wrong with it. Yeah, because they, they ever. This is my my boy or my brother or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So getting that just you know honest criticism was huge because I needed it. You know, I think I'll always need it, and that's where the band comes in too. You know, um, you know, having that extra, you know, ear mm-hmm. to be especially like, with the guys that have like Mason and. Um the guys that have like production mm-hmm. ideas definitely definitely helps kick your ass uh, lyric wise yeah and even outside of that they just have such a good sense of how to get something out of the studio mm-hmm. 
where I wouldn't know how to where to begin or or how to get that sound. They they have really good ideas for that as well. It's always nice about having a big band is you always have multiple influences for each instrument. Like there are some things that I would have never thought of, and then Mark would bring me an idea, and I'd be like, huh. And then like a half hour later, a totally different animal comes out of the yeah out of the recording process, or vice versa. You know, like I'll come to Mark with a different bass idea. And he, and he wouldn't have thought of that, you know. So it's, it, there's seven of you. I'm sure there's lots of ideas flowing there are. when you guys are mm-hmm. recording. Now, when you go into the studio with Ben and Matt and everybody, are you going in with a certain influence? Are you trying to, like, look, I love Andrew Jude's record. I love maybe a little bit of Mumford, a little bit of this. Like, what's your main influence for the self-titled EP? I don't think I ever have, like, a goal to sound like somebody else or, mm-hmm. like... You know, I've I I'm a fan of artists and bands out there, mm. but you know my favorite band is Fish. You know, do, are we ever going to sound anything <laughs> <similar to that laughs> Fish? You know, it'd be impossible. Um, so I don't think I have that. You know, I, I'm of the I'm of the belief, as Quincy Jones once said. You know, music needs to be decategorized. You know, I think especially because of how far music has come we can't we have we have a challenge a challenge sort of describing our sound to a lot of people you know what Stella Ruse is because some of our songs are funky and some of our songs are folky and some of our songs are Americana and bluegrassy so it's tough I, I don't think I ever I don't think I ever write a song trying to sound like somebody I don't think I ever go into the studio with like a, a, a you know a goal to sound like a specific brand or anything like that it's just kind of how can we make this song the best and you know maybe that maybe that'll come to haunt us one day in the studio where we have like a you know a a whole album full of like different fucking songs nothing sounds like it's from the same band yeah but that might be cool too that might be an interesting sometimes it's good sometimes it's a little rough there's a i love you know you know zach brown band yeah sure i love like that band and some of the songs, but they put out this record. It was called Jekyll and Hyde. And they had, every song was a different genre. Although you can respect it. It's like, I don't think any of these should be grouped together. Did you mm-hmm. find that Mark? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for that. I mean, there's some, there's some great tracks on that, but it, I didn't like the the overall vibe of the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was, it didn't like flow. There was nothing flowing yeah. through it. Like you guys were considered a country band. Why are we all of a sudden like, I get, changing and evolving but it just sounds like you guys just went oh we do one of these and one but of these that and being one of sa- these. that being said though it is cool there should be like an eclectic record is cool like when you hear all those influences in the songwriting just not like a completely different genre for each yeah you know? yeah it almost felt like we went you go from ska to like six eight motown ballad to uh <laughs> polka yeah <laughs> like it that's my only criticism, but like yeah. I, yeah, I maybe suppose, one day. I suppose, especially if you're like I love to listen from an album, you know, from the first song all the way to the end of the song. As do we. Um, so I, I, I guess I would agree with that sentiment. That, and there's one thing I mean, that's like that that the the album isn't appreciated anymore. Everyone's going singles now, and mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to see that art form die. Yeah. Yeah, it's we're trying to bring it back. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. So, are you guys going back in to record soon? We're going back in. Uh, Two thousand. 18 was a great year for Stella Ruse, um, both as a band and for me personally, for some 
personal things, you know, with uh, getting engaged and doing the house thing and all that. Thank you. Um, so we decided after a busy year, 2018, that we'd take the first three and a half months of 2019 to uh, first rehearse these songs that we've been going with, you know, for the last few months and refining them, making them more studio version-y. And, and then we're going to do demos and then we're going to go in and, you know, put all this money into it. Are you guys going to pretty much do demos at somebody's house and kind of get the idea together before you go in? Yep. From what I understand, you guys had a hard time with that the last time you went in the studio. Um, kind of jumping around. Yeah, no, that's okay. Yeah, the, so the EP um, was before we had Sean um, and Ted and Vince officially in the group. Uh, and a lot of these songs were very fresh and really exciting, and they had this new energy about them that, like, I think all of us, the four of us, were really amped to go and record them. And it was probably a little bit premature because when we got in the studio, we realized that we weren't as ready, and we ended up working out a lot of the the parts and the arrangements, the finals, in the studio, mm-hmm. which really made the album, I think, what it is, and we're really proud of it. I'm. I really like it. What we came up with, but I think we wasted a little bit of money and weren't as efficient mm-hmm. in doing that. Um, you know. That said, if we had a studio with you know no holds barred, just to go in and live out of and be you know studio junkies, I think we would create the best music in the world. I mean, the Tom Petty's of the world and Bruce Springsteen's. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just had these record labels just letting them live in these studios, and they wrote these phenomenal albums right or like rent a house so. and just write all the time live mm-hmm. in the house go do your thing mm-hmm. work your day job but come back to the house we're we're working yeah it's it's a dream so there's like a you have to find like a happy medium where like you don't cut yourself off to no changes in the studio because once you get in the studio you'll inevitably hear things that you didn't before um so you have to be open to that i feel like but um but you come with a basic arrangement. at the same time you don't want to you don't want to use all your money up you know. <laughs> what money <laughs> right right your savings on you know so you're going back into quarry are you going back in with ben as well or, or are we going like a different direction yeah i want to talk to ben about um, some of these new songs i don't think we've decided one way or another what we're going to be doing yet when we get in the studio uh, but definitely want to work with ben again definitely want to work with matt again and i think um based off of our last two studio experiences the algorithm that seemed to work the best is you know kind of picking and choosing we have we're so lucky to have all these um awesome studios in and around our area Mm. that we know now which studios are best for which arrangements so kawari um phenomenal mixing studio and their piano and keyboard rigs are top notch so Mm. you know uh we'll probably end up using that just for that and then we'll go to retro city for vocals because they have this huge room you know and you get these big wow sounds um you know so it's kind of like as long as you have an engineer who's willing to work with you and and move with you you know you can kind of go and handle what you need to do Mm -hmm. you know putting it together in a again as efficient as possible and trying to make it all put together like a puzzle and as fishy as possible yeah are you are you guys heading in the jam band kind of direction um, I think from a studio perspective, um, you know, these songs are going to be straight up studio, um, you know, studio versions, what you about know, live, though? radio friendly. Um, but live, I think, I think, yes, I think, yes. I think, um, you know, having the full 
bass drum element has allowed us to really, you know, sp- spread our wings a little bit when it comes to more imp- improv stuff. Yeah, I noticed that at the last show. The, yeah, um, the song you closed with, um, I think it was off your first record, and, and this, the audience started singing along. And mm-hmm. then, as long as uh, the 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 bottom was held down, you guys can kind of fiddle on top, and it mm-hmm. let you kind of do that jam for it must have been ten minutes. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, and I was curious if you're kind of feeling your fish roots now is starting to come back. Definitely, yeah, one hundred percent. It's really cool for me because I never really did any guitar leads before. Other than solo, you know, looping stuff. Is there any any particular uh, guitar player you're kind of diving into style-wise? You're like, I kind of want to sound like this or that and the other thing? Um, well, I'm, I, again, I don't think I ever, like, push myself to sound like a certain way. Um, but, I, I, would, I mean, my favorite guitar player is Trey Anastasio. Mm-hmm. So, I think... Um, you think it's organic? Fortunately like or unfortunately, I'm starting to sound more like him. But um, um, yeah, it's 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 really cool getting those elements involved because I'm definitely getting better at it. All right, ladies and gents, we're going to talk about the music news. I've coll- collected, collected all these, all these, <laughs> <laughs> all these music-related news topics, and I'm going to talk to Brendan about them. First one I got up here is: um, Have you heard about this new documentary for um, Rick Rubin? Do you know who Rick Rubin is? Yes, legendary producer. Showtime is prepping a new documentary series on him called Shangri La, and it says that they're going to have a. Uh, a work-in-progress cut at the 2019 South by Southwest Festival nice. in Austin, Texas. Um, for those who don't know, Rick Rubin is one of the essential producers of our lifetime. Definitely. Of the, LA, uh, yeah, LA, California guy. Yeah. Here, you know what? Just for giggles, I didn't look this up, but let's just get like a, a quick list. Uh, producer. Yeah, he produced yeah. a ton of people. He was a part, wasn't he part of Def Jam? What, um, who, I, I don't know exactly. He was with. I don't know the, a whole lot about him. I just know that his philosophy is like very kind of hippity dippity. You know, very hippity. soulful. Yeah. You know, like he's kind of an, or an organic guy, and he's been really good implemental for people's success and telling them which songs suck and which songs are really good. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Yeah. Um, it on Wikipedia. Uh, it says he's a record producer and former co-president of Columbia Records. Columbia, he, along with Russell right. Simmons, he is the co-founder of Def Jam Records and also established American Recordings. He's worked with such artists as, let's just pick a couple, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Johnny Cash, Shakira, Chili Peppers, Tom Petty, Weezer, Black yeah. Keys, ZZ Top, Jay-Z, tons Ridiculous. of people. So they got a new documentary coming out on him. It should come out at uh, South by Southwest. That is sweet. I will watch that. Yeah, the filmmaker is the Oscar-winning Morgan Neville, who directed "Won't You Be My Neighbor," the thing on um, yeah, what is his name? Rogers. Fred Rogers. Yeah, Mister Rogers. And twenty feet from stardom. Weren't you the one telling me about that? About background singers. That's twenty feet from yeah, stardom. Yeah, that, that is awesome. You should ch- definitely. That's check on it out. Netflix. I think. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. It says it will highlight Rick Rubin's eclectic resume and unique creative process. Uh, about the producer. So I'm really excited about that. That is sweet. I just watched a documentary on uh, Quincy Jones. 
I've been talking to people about that for the past two months. That's where I got that that quote from earlier. Yeah, you like it? What a wild, yeah. I mean, what a what a span, you know. And the fact that he got into pop music because he was in debt from that trip or whatever. Well, actually, I haven't seen Crazy. the 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 documentary yet. It's on my list. I'll watch it tonight. Yeah, Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just called Quincy. His daughter does is the one that um yes is directs it. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. I'm gonna. Check that out, and then we yeah. check out the Rick Rubin documentary. And he's like a total workaholic too, just wow. I love it. Yeah. Uh, next on the news is uh, about these young Russian musicians struggle under government scrutiny. Mm. And uh, here's what this article says: Members of Ice Peak, who describe their work as audiovisual terror, uh, say that the government told them they crossed the line, and. Uh, the story is in December of 2018, when two of the members, both in their mid-20s, arrived in the Siberian city, not even a try, in this Siberian city, to a concert police detained them right at the train station because their music was not friendly to authorities. It's very political. And one of their latest songs called Death No More was when the trouble began. The one lyric was, in my gold change, I'm drowning in this swamp. My blood is purer than the purest drugs. So some kind of political it's russian so i i don't know exactly yeah how far they went but they got taken edgy, by edgy. the government a little edgy yeah it got taken by the government so my question to you is how close not how close do you feel like we're starting to get go into that direction in this country mm. or do you think that some voices are afraid to speak out like politically yeah because of being like the thought of being detained or being followed by? I think it's a good question. I think that there's probably more motivation for people to start writing more and more about politics and mm-hmm. and getting more radical in that sense. Um, I'm under the belief a little bit that entertainment, uh, more music than anything for me, should be separate because... Some of that stuff really can make me emotional and stress me personally out if I think too much about it, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a lot of that going on right now. So when I write, I try to have people have an escape so that what they're stressed out about doesn't transfer over into what they're listening to because you never have that, like, downtime. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to mix the two personally, but... um if I was in a different group where that was our goal was would to be you know more political, yeah, there's like so much um, mojo out there right now to go and collect. You know, mm-hmm. I think that I think that under these times, you know, definitely there's a lot of out, uh, yeah. speaking out happening right now. Yeah, do you, but do you I know I agree with you, and Mark also feels that way, which is that entertainment is entertainment. It's not. Well, you agree with that. Yeah, like I go to a concert to forget to escape. It's like, why, exactly. why do you go see a movie? It's escapism, right? Right. So I don't need someone to preach to me, <laughs> you know, who to vote for. They you try to I mean? get you yeah. to go on their I'm side. There to just have a good time, have some drinks and party. You know I agree mean? with you 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's almost, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a cliche, but it's happening a lot right now, especially with like the government shutdown and things mm-hmm. like that. And everyone's starting to come out with their own opinion. It's almost. Yeah. Oh, it's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's hard to. Uh, so when you see, when you read articles like that, you're like, well, how close are we to this? At what point is the government going to 
change their mind, want well, change their mind, but like freedom of speech, if it's against them, are they going to start coming after us? Yeah. So I was curious, like, do, do you think we're like, we're not that close to this idea, but are we on our way? Well, wow, that good there's question. so much, there's so much speaking out against the government right now. Yeah. Well, I think we are really, really, really fucking lucky to live in this country because we have the ability to speak out mm. as much as we want, you know, and are protected by the amendment. Um, whereas in Russia, they don't have that protection. You're fucked, yeah. right? I mean, if you're too loud, they'll hush you pretty quick. So I guess, you know, we can be grateful that we, we still have that freedom, you know, and those protections mm-hmm. to, to do that if you wanted to. Um, yeah. But I think it's a, these are trying times we live in. You know, it's like it's more reason to be political and really uh, outward with your opinions. There's also more reason to write about other shit so people have more to escape to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can find solace in your music or, or in, in their favorite movies or um, sports games, you know. Um, because it's become so personal for mm. so many people. I can agree with that. Yeah. Moving on in the music news is uh, two big things for this one band. Big thing number one is uh, Tedeschi Trucks is releasing new music, which I'm very excited about. The bad news with that is that Tim LaFabe, famous bass player, is officially parting ways with the Tedeschi Trucks band. Did you hear about this? Uh, no, but I love them. Yeah, they're a great band. They're, they just announced a whole bunch of tours, but they... Uh, here, their um, the press release says Tim has officially announced his departure from the band. Uh, the bassist who's worked with David Bowie, Wayne Krantz, Sting, etc., joined TPTB in 2013. A gentleman by the name of Brandon Boone will play the bass with the ensemble on their upcoming upcoming winter dates. So I assume that Tim is still on the next record. It's mm. just he decided to bail out, or so maybe did part it, of does ways. it say? It doesn't. It says. Uh, Tim will be moving on. The intense TTB tour schedule leaves little time for other gigs, and Tim feels like it's time to free up his schedule so he can spend more time producing and playing on a variety of different projects. It's Mm. vague enough. Yeah. He probably got pretty stifled playing with one band. Okay. Yeah, so I hope that... I love... uh, I love that band. I love Tedeschi Trucks. I love Mm. the Allman Brothers. You know, that whole family band thing you know mm-hmm. southern rock i'm just a huge fan and, and um what a phenomenal guitar player um i don't know what your question is specifically but if i could just comment um we had really the opportunity to meet and kind of talk about a little bit this exact topic we played with um pete francis from dispatch this past year right who also no longer plays with dispatch and um uh, about six months before that, Josiah Johnson of the Head and the Heart, and both kind of directly um, uh, comparable to this situation with their bass leap, their bassist playing. And for me, in speaking to both those guys, it really seemed like they were on like a much better situation and path for them. And I'm assuming the band was also happy too. So, like it was a mutual breakup. Yeah, I know for Pete. Um, for Pete Francis specifically with Dispatch, the road wasn't for him. And, um, you know, his family life was really 
better for him, and he was able to to find that in his own solo career. Um, and for Josiah, I think it was a little bit more um, of um, chemical chemical stuff, you know, um, drug abuse. Mm-hmm. But he seems much better too. So and you know, so I can only assume that if it's a better situation for the band and the individual, then like God power to him and all that. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess my thought here is for Tim, you know, leaving Tedeschi Trucks. I just hope that it's on his own fruition and not like a band decision or something, you know. No, I I think I was bringing it up because I wanted us to talk about it. it yeah, it seems like he maybe they're parting ways amicably, and that's it's good. fine. But this gentleman, uh, the guy that's taking his place, is a young guy. I have his uh, his his uh, bio, Brandon Boone. A native of Augusta, Georgia, is an Atlanta-based bassist. Now, here's the thing that makes me go, huh? He was a part of, where is it? The Disneyland 2016 All-American College Band, which means that he was in college in 2016. That means that this kid is definitely 25, 26 years old on the road with Tedeschi Trucks Band. Wow. What is going through that kid's head? Yeah, right? Oh, my God. I did it! (laughs) Right? Don't say anything. <laughs> Just play the bass. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Fly on the wall. Oh, man. What He's, a boss. Yeah, how amazing is that? 25. You're on the road with like one of the best jam bands on the scene right now. Could you imagine? I can't. I can't. Because yeah. like, you go from like... Well, it says he also played with a couple other big acts, but like... Uh, Brandon studied bass with Mark Miller and drum set with uh, Justin Cesarak at Kennesaw State University. He's happy to be found in that that situation. Wow, that is insane. I mean, what a jump start to his career. I mean, I think he was doing okay, but this is like, hold yeah. on, let me see the dates. It's like three months straight or something. Wow, it's nuts. Anyway, did you also hear that, that awesome. Fish announced their their giant run this year? I did did you get tickets yet, or have they released them? So yeah, I think we have until Monday to get on the uh, the lottery, mm-hmm. and then the the public sale is uh, on the twenty fifth. Okay, so I, I'm gonna do that this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna ask a bunch of friends and family to like put my name down? Are you gonna ask they them? They have. Well, I've had some good luck. Okay, um, we have some gigs around that time, so I can I can't go. But they have three dates in Camden this year. Mm. Normally they do two. And then they do two in Saratoga, um, which I don't know if you guys have, I'm sure you have, but a show in SPAC. Yeah, I've, I've been to SPAC. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I saw Mo and the Allman Brothers there, actually. Oh, my gosh. It was, yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Same night or different gigs? Same, same night. Mo opened for the Allman Brothers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I remember that tour. Um, yeah. Have you been up to SPAC yet, Rob? No, I haven't been there. It, it's worth it. Bucket list. Bucket list. Bucket list. Yeah. I got a few of those. <laughs> I don't travel enough. Hey, it's on your way to Canada, dude. Yeah, you go to Canada. Middle of that eight hour drive. (laughs) All right, ladies and gents, we are here at the next segment called Whip It Out Your Phone, please. Whip out your phone. All right. And we're going to talk about the last five things that you've listened to. But here, I'll start just to kind of get us started. Uh, I remember the segment, but I don't remember how to get to it on my phone, so you just have to walk me through it. When no, it's all good. So uh, go to your Spotify and just listen. look up your last five things that you listened to, or if you remember off the top of your head. Um, here, I'll start. Okay. The last five things I listened to, um, Leon Bridges River. Yesterday, I was kind of in a foul mood, and I needed something kind of chill, 
to kind of put me in a good state and that song was so calming and then they, yeah. they get to the the bridge like i wanna go i wanna go i wanna go so good yeah i highly recommend it uh i was listening to do you like stanton moore i don't know the, if i know stanton he's the drummer from galactic Ooh. Yeah, he's fantastic. I was listening to his jazz record called "With You in Mind." We were talking, me and Mark were talking about that album uh, the other day. It's the Alan Toussaint uh, album. They play yeah, all yeah. Alan Toussaint. That's a good tunes. one, man. Yeah, it's a good record. Nice. Uh, Mark, we got to ask about your last five too. So, um, <laughs> my third one is uh, the Derek Trucks band. The album called "Songlines." It has a song called "Volunteer Slavery" that I know that uh, I want us to do in the future. Um, I was listening to the new Tedeschi Trucks single called "Hard Case." Nice, it's awesome. Yeah, is it? I really love it. And then uh, Mandolin Orange just put out a new tune called "The Wolves," post um, pregnancy. I guess so. Because Emily just had a, uh, a baby. Okay. I love Mandolin Orange. Yeah. I think they were talking about it today. It might have came out either yesterday or today. Nice. But those are my five. What do you got? Sweet. This is uh, Brendan's list. Um. Okay. So I have um, "Loves Me Like a Rock," Paul Simon. Oh, we, so uh, good. So good. We were really lucky to do our first show of 2019 was a Paul Simon Garfunkel tribute show with Ryan Tennis mm. and Loose Leaf. Was he doing the Graceland thing? Yes. They were doing the Graceland album with the bass player from Graceland. Graceland. What's the, his name again? Um, I always mispronounce it. Um, hold on. But uh, no, I've always seen the videos. I love... Uh, Ryan, I've met him a couple times, and I haven't really hung out with him, but I love his drummer, too, his buddy. Forget his name. His name is Bakithi Kumato. He's awesome. Yeah. So good. He did a couple clinics in Philly. Super friendly. Oh, yeah? Really nice guy? Yeah. Really, you know, cordial. So you guys played that tune? We yeah we played five tunes, and one of them was Loves Me Me Like a Rock. So that's such a great song. It was sweet. What else you got? Um... Sunday Night Butterflies, Andrew Jude. Yeah. Why do you call him AB? Uh, his name, his real name is Andrew Baderick. That's way, Andrew Jude's way easier to say. I Andrew remember. Jude is his, band, is, uh, his stage name. Um, but yeah, everyone calls him AB. Um, I have Such a Night, Last Waltz album. Oh, I love that movie. We covered that. So I was learning that too. Um, Rachel Andy Waves. Mm-hmm. That's off her new album. Yeah, we were talking about it. We were talking when she was on the podcast. We were talking mm-hmm. about her album and that specific song. I was really lucky to get to know Rachel uh, with Skylar Jenkins' Escape Artists. That's right. Tour mm-hmm. RV tour. Uh, also, John Gilbride and Pete Hill on that and. Uh, she was actually hearing, listening to masters on that trip, um, and like approving different stuff. So we kind of had like a little bit behind the scenes, like conversations about some of the stuff she was working on. So when it finally dropped, I was like, "Oh, I can't wait to listen to it." We're all five of you, kind of like giving your notes. Some was she asking for notes about her masters, or just I think like it was actually listen. a little bit further along at that point. Okay, we didn't actually get to hear anything. Um, she wouldn't show us, but um, she was telling us about you know, different things that were going on and, you know, studio stuff and Mm -hmm. how excited she was. Yeah. That's amazing. And excuse me, the, the, the documentary is coming out soon. The actual documentary. February 5th, actually. And that's a good one for me to promote because we don't have much shows coming up, but, um, or nothing announced yet, but February 5th is the premiere of, um, Skylar's film. 
Season one. Yep. And he's planning to do more? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. Maybe we should talk about doing that. We'd be the yes. backing band for everybody. Let's get one of you guys on that. Next um, one. No, I mean, we, we, uh, me and Skylar have talked a lot about it, and he said that um, that documentary should be really cool. I can't make the, uh, the debut, but it looks awesome. No worries. If you want to see the trailer, you can go to, I think, youtube.com slash yep. the escape artists, mm-hmm. and you'll find it. Yep. And uh, the uh, the episode will be available to, you know, for everyone to watch, I think, uh, sometime in March. Is, will that be on his website? Or I'm sure that uh, it'll be out somewhere. Yeah. I just think it'll Facebook be. it. Yeah. You'll find it. What else you got? I think that we just did number three. So the so fifth, four. that was four. Okay. Yeah. And the fifth is um, off of um, Fish's Cosvoke Vok album. I don't know that one. Mark? Which is their newest he doesn't. Which is their newest album, um, uh, Turtle in the Clouds, is a song I have here. Um, so, yes, I'm a huge Fish fan. <laughs> and as you probably know, every Halloween show that Fish plays, they cover an album. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's their Halloween costume. Okay. So they'll actually do a set of their own music, um, a set of this album of their choosing, and then another set of their music. Do they tell you before, you, before no. the show? Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I would love that. So in the past, they've done the Talking Heads. They've done uh, the Beatles, the White Album. Um, it's, it's always a toss-up. And this past year, they wanted to get super creative, and they basically made up a, a, a prog rock band. They made it up um, called Cosvoke Vok, which is like this, um, yeah, like... European rock band mm-hmm. and they they even went as far to put stuff in Wikipedia that dates back to like 2002 <laughs> it didn't, it didn't it, you know it was, it was this real real complex thing and it didn't take long for fish fans to figure out that this was like just all a hoax that fish had put together but they wrote uh, let me see I'm there's um there's 10 songs on the album it's a it was you know one and done they recorded it live and they put it out to the world that night on Halloween 2018 um, and it was 10 tracks but the only reason why I think it's been so well accepted not only that it that it's this cool idea but the songs and the melodies are awesome like some of the best new songs they've written in a long time mm-hmm. and I think they're realizing that and they've been on this little bit of wave ever since yeah so you, you think they're gonna dive into that a little more they uh, yeah they they played they played songs throughout that through their their New Year's Eve run in Madison Square Garden. Oh, how cool! They're is that? already playing all those songs now, <laughs> on top of all their other songs. Yeah. So this thing that started out as a joke is like, oh, this is le- oh no, this is legit. People really love this, yeah. And, uh, they, and I think it's really reinvigorated them a little bit because for a while, you know, when you when you when you put out new music and it's not quite as you know popping or accepted, you know, you maybe get a little deterred. I think this album just went. Way above what they thought. I mean, the melodies are so cool. Check it out. I'll definitely check Turtle it. in the Clouds is a good one. Say It to Me Santos is another good one. I'll check it out. No, I yeah. uh, I always love having different uh, artists come on and give me five things to check out. Hey, yeah. Mark, what are your last five? Hey, what, Rob? Well, I don't have Spotify in front of me because uh, I have Pro Tools in front of me, but right. I can remember a few of them. Uh, so I'm working on a new gig, so I've been practicing some stuff. Uh, My Old School by Steely Dan was one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Steely Dan. Uh, Strawberry Fields by the Beatles. Classic. Um, also, I have kind of weird taste. A little Rob Zombie in there as well. 
Uh, wow. Feel so numb. Yeah, sometimes you'll put some <laughs> zombie on the road and we'll get over it real quick. Not, not me. Yeah, not you. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good release. Uh, what else? Um, Do you like Les Claypool at all? I, I love uh, I love Primus. I don't love yeah. a lot of his solo stuff too much, but mm-hmm. I do love Primus. Um, I got into Oysterhead when he did Oysterhead that. Oysterhead was with, cool. With Trey. Yeah, and right. uh, Stuart Copeland, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was weird. They, I saw I saw some some concert footage of them, and Trey had didn't Trey have like a theremin on his guitar, or was that or was that Les? Maybe one of them had like a theremin built into their guitar. You know? Yeah, I think uh, I think that was Les. Was that Les? Yeah. He's out there with He's his a weird bassist, dude. too. Yeah. But, yeah, that's all I got. Sorry. It's all good. That's, that's enough. <laughs>Talk about the top 40, the things that people love, but sometimes musicians hate. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about, um, I like to talk in this podcast about t- tunes that are actually good off the top 40, as opposed to just being a hater, which I'm very cynical, which is super easy. Yeah. So I, this is actually forcing me to listen to tunes that are um, not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. However, I had a lucky break because Mark Ronson recently put out a new tune with um, Miley Cyrus is called Nothing Breaks Like a Heart. Mm. Like you know the Mark Ronson course classics yeah, like and Uptown Funk and mm-hmm. what's the other really big one? Didn't he do one with Gaga? Yeah. He I, did I can't uh, remember what that's called. Well he helped write all of the um Stars Born stuff with her. That's right. Yeah. Great film. Which I think has been nominated for Academy Awards. Did it win a Golden Globe? It won Best Score. Golden Globe. That's right. Yeah. So that's right. Power oh, so him. he did a uh, black back to black with uh, Amy Winehouse, a couple other tunes. But yeah, so that song yeah. is awesome. Nice. My girlfriend and I talk about pop music all the time. I love uh, songs that have like weird, weird syncopated rhythms. The verse in that song is so good. I get a little chub just thinking about it. So Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Wow. Really good. She doesn't belt too much. It's just really funky. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. All right. Yeah. Did you find anything in the top 40 that you like? Yeah. So um, in prepping for this, I didn't want to dive too far in because I wanted it to be authentic as possible, as you had advised. Yeah. And I like that. Um, and from looking at everything and kind of listening to a few of them because I didn't know the artist... I will say that what I really, talking about something positive on the top 40, I will say that I really respect how they are able to write these hooks. If you go through, the one from the top 40 that I actually like is Post Malone. And I, I what I like most about it is that they're really simple ideas that are super catchy and you know, if we could just write one of those tunes in mixing with our genre, you know, with with uh, Hambone or with Stella, we'd be we'd have our break. So mm. it's like you can take something from these groups without becoming them, and hopefully we'll have success in that one day. But um, what I really what I really appreciated from that is that every whether it's the verse or the chorus, every melody is is. Um, syncopated it's the same so it's like da 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 and the next line is totally different but it still has the same pattern of da 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 so to the ear and to the listener it's super simple and it's really catchy 
whether you like the artist or not. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my positive that's take, take on the top 40. <laughs> What's the Post Malone song so I can tag it later? He has one called Survivor Okay. right now. And uh, another one from, I think, a few months ago that I forget the name of that's still... Is that the Sunflower song? Hanging in there. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the one from the Spider-Man movie. Oh, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Did I say it might be Sunflower? I'm not sure. But we, we, we have some in-depth depth conversations about the top 40. There is definitely some garbage on there that you won't, if we're going to be a yeah. little negative about it, it's just like, it's really hard to enjoy. Yeah, let's go negative now. All right. So, <laughs> so what's the one? What's the worst? Yeah. <laughs> I need to look at it. Hold on, I'll, I'll see. So I really tried. Ari- Ariana Grande has... Three songs in like the top ten right now. Mm-hmm. I really tried. I just I, mm, I don't know. See, I'm the opposite. I love those songs. I'm really. I'm with. I I, I'm with you, man. I cannot stand her. Dude. I think. I, cannot I think stand that her. she's got an amazing rhythmic thing, like uh, the the God is a woman song. Lyrically, it's good, but I. Like the rhythms, I like the feel yeah. and everything. What's it? What is? It, what about it turns you off? So I'm always half. The glass is always half full. So I'll start with the positive. Um, Good for you. The uh, <laughs> you know the the sentiment on she wrote about her anxiety post the um, uh, thank awful you next. the awful um, shooting that happened at her concert. Oh yeah. She wrote a song about it. It's in the top ten, and. You know, everyone can everyone can relate to that because that's a real human thing, and that's an awful thing to happen to somebody. I wouldn't, you know, how messed up of a world that we're talking about this that, that happened at a concert. Mm-hmm. But the song itself, <laughs> going the opposite direction with this, um, it's not catchy to me. There aren't there aren't these um, sort of production elements in it that I really appreciate in a lot of the top forty stuff, even if I don't love the music personally. It just doesn't have it for me. So I'm curious. I would love to hear from a, more of your side from the Ariana Grande fan on what is it. I wouldn't call myself a fan. I'm a, an appreciator. I appreciate. Like uh, the Thank You Next song is whatever. Yeah. She has this song. I think I've talked about it on three out of the five podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, uh, uh, I'm so into you. Is that the uh, one yeah, you yeah, wanted yeah. us to cover, dude? It's so funky. <laughs> the the chorus is like a guitar line. It's really great. <laughs> I'm shaking my head vigorously. No, we'll get Mark. We'll get Mark a um, my buddy uh, who plays with Luke Combs. This uh, country artist has a tune that's in the top forty. Now he plays drums for him. Okay, but um, and you know the the producers for these groups are really the geniuses. Yeah, it's not the artist. You know and. Well, some of it, you know, and I think that it, if they had worked with a different artist, perhaps they wouldn't have the success that they have. So it's definitely it is also the artist, but the 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 the, the power of the mic, the power of the, the recording studio, and the mind behind you know the engineer that's working everything. There are a lot of factors. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also these waves of kind of sounding the same. Some of them yeah. start to like sound the same, like when the. Some of those Katy Perry tunes came out in like the late 2000s. Everything had that same, uh, everything had that dotted quarter note thing. So true, yeah. Um, But some of quick, real quick, some tunes that are on here Mm -hmm. that are actually that are like rough are like the Maroon Five song. I'm not a fan of. 
uh, girls like you. Okay. Uh, that high hopes tune by Panic at the Disco's all right, and well, the shallow song from um, uh, what, what's the movie? Uh, uh, we were just talking about it. It was um, Star is Born. Star is Born is on here. It's on the top forty, and that sounds great. And like apparently Brad the Cooper helped write those, so That's good for them, cool. man. Yeah. All right, time for the last round of questions. It's called the lightning round. All right. So I'm going to ask a question. You've heard this podcast before, so you yes. may have an idea of what's coming. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask a question, and you have to give me your first thought or answer. You ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. First album you ever owned? Ever owned? Mm. Dave Matthews, Crash Into Me. Somebody else had that one. Yeah, I think it was the last. Uh, it, it was, was Jaton. The, the Jaton guys, yeah. Yep. First show you ever saw? It was a gift from my aunt, but I did. I do. I'm, I am a fan. Uh, first song I ever wrote? No, first show you ever saw. Oh, Hootie and the Blowfish. That's that's a good in, one. I was in grade school at Hershey Park Arena. Who else was on the bill? Um, that's a good question. There was definitely an opener, but I don't remember. I have the well, ticket the, stub. I'll oh, look. do you do you save yours? Do you save I your save stubs? them all. Save them all. You're gonna make like a little table, like a tabletop. Yeah, thing? it's weird. I don't know what to do with them. I guess a book, like a. Or you can do like a like a put it you know like a giant um, poster thing. And like it, put them on, like yeah, yeah, tape them up or something. We should talk about that because I'm trying to figure out best way to do it without like ruining the stub. You can probably find a tax system that won't destroy them. Right. Um, next one. Last show you saw that you weren't a part of. Last concert I saw mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of. Yeah, it could either be um, uh, Fish, hometown or MSG. That was the New Year's run. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, was it just them or was there an opener? Thirtieth. No opener. Fish never has any openers. Uh, and the reasoning for it is um, ear um, fatigue, or at least that's the one that I always hear them say, that um, they don't want uh, their fans to uh, get in. When they finally play, they don't want their fans' the ears to be tired. It's actually kind of kind. Tired. This uh, po- podcast is brought to you by the train that runs by this, po- this <laughs> studio. It's called the River Line. Go look it up. All right, number four is favorite song to play live. Ooh. Hmm. It changes for me. But um, right now, I think it's All Works Out. It's an original song that we've been playing. And it's had a little bit of a a switch from an acoustic kind of uh, ballad to more of an I'm playing much guitar on it now, and it's become more jammy. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think some of these songs that we've moved from a four-piece to a full band, some of these songs are being like reinvigorated, and uh, yeah, they're kind of coming back to life for us. Which that is, is really cool. Yeah. Um, next one is uh, least favorite song to play. Ooh. Well, I would have to probably go to my, some of my solo gigs when you're playing cover songs. Mm-hmm. And you get that request. What is it? Yeah. Uh, right now, hmm. It was Wagon Wheel. I'll still play it because normally I have my tip jar out. Mm-hmm. And if you play it, then they're more likely to throw a dollar in before they leave the restaurant or whatever. So, yeah, I would say probably Wagon Wheel right now. My new thing I want to start doing is having a menu 
of certain cover songs, and then people have to pay for whatever cover song Ooh, they want to hear. I like so like that. think about that. So you got like a little little stand that says like Wagon Wheels, twenty bucks. Like uh, American Girl. Wagon Wagon Wheel and Freebird are like the surf and turf. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. They're yeah, like yeah, four, yeah. forty bucks. Yeah. So <laughs> if you put in forty dollars, I will play that song and I'll do it for like. That's amazing. I'll jam on it. I'll go on for a while. Um, any Irish song should be on there. Uh, Country what, Roads. Country uh, Roads. Margaritaville. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's another good one that people always request? Maybe like Last Dance or... Uh, I, I can deal with that. Or... Um, oh, we were talking about them earlier. Um, Santeria. Oasis. Top oh, of the yeah. list. Um, <laughs> but the yeah. coolest thing I saw was in Austin... It was a live band. It was a live cover band, and they pass around a bucket, and it's literally like being tossed around the crowd. And they're like, "Shout out a cover song. The bucket needs to be full for us to play it." Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Yeah. How big is this bucket? It's um, I don't know. Top oh, hat. Jesus. Top hat full. Yeah. Was it always an outrageous cover? Uh, yeah. It was always like a, like a like a Barney, like a Wonderwall, or oh, like Wonderwall. A, yeah. <laughs> but they would do it. Mark, we should. I think this is a good idea. I think we should do this. Uh, number six, favorite local artist that hasn't been heard of or should be more well known. Hmm. Hmm. I, I don't know how I can pick just one, Rob, because you know, Try being a politician. But right, <laughs> but right now, you know, I've I've been listening to Rachel's album like crazy, mm-hmm. and uh, she's probably a bad example because she's getting so much notoriety for it. Um, she's doing pretty good she's for herself, local. but she's local. And she's just, you know, getting started like us. So I would have to say shout out Rachel Andy and the Fifth Element. Nice. Number seven, guilty pleasure artist or album? Mm. Well, you know, it has a negative connotation to say you're a Dave Matthews fan. It does. but So my guilty pleasure is probably still being a, a Dave fan, you know. I, I don't listen to him, obviously, as much as I used to. But um, going back and kind of... Having those memories pop back in your head when you're listening to that stuff in high school is definitely a guilty pleasure. Yeah. I'll give you mine because uh, my mom used to clean the house to Celine Dion. So whenever I hear, not the Titanic song, like Mark's looking at me funny. It's like the, you know, the Christmas tunes or the greatest hits. All I do is smell like Lemon Pledge in the clean house. <laughs> right. and so that's my guilty pleasure is, is that. Uh, number eight, favorite album of all time right now. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Of all time. If you had to like list that album that right now is like your go-to right now, mm-hmm. I'll give you mine. My okay. new favorite album I play all the time is Casey Musgraves' new album. I cannot remember the title of it offhand, but it's really great. The whole thing, top to bottom. You're an yeah. album guy. This is top to bottom. Yeah. Great album. Um, I, Mine always comes back to Grateful Dead. Um. Oxamoxoa. I don't know that one. It is. It was their first ever studio experience, and they they didn't want to even do it because they were such a live group. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were signed with a company, and they had to provide them a studio album. So they went in and did this, and on a long a long strange trip, the documentary on Grateful Dead on Amazon, I believe. Um, they go over kind of what influence them to to do this record and and also what they did in the studio you know more specific to uh um their um chemical influences that they Mm. were doing and their drinking and and what have you and um that was like one of the first jam band 
albums I ever listened to. Um, you know, and that has Casey Jones and St. Stephen. And, um, you were covering that one for a while. You were covering St. Stephen. So I think that that one still is like at the top, top for me. Um, not only because of the, the tracks themselves, but, uh, but yeah, that also, that kind of taking you back to when you first heard it and like where you were and what people you were hanging out with and all mm-hmm. that too. So mm-hmm. I'd have to all say right. that. Right now, who's your, this last one, who's your favorite artist right now? Hmm. My favorite solo artist? Either, either solo artist or band. You can say Fish, or you can say whoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say yeah. this. <laughs> you know, and it's funny too because before this Halloween album they did, you know, I'm I was into Mandolin Orange for a while. Um, you know, I was kind of off of it. I still loved them and would go see their shows, you know, whatever. But I think they've reinvigorated my joy for for what they do with this Kazvak Voss album. Check it out. Check it out. All right. And as always, every song we mention will be on a Spotify playlist, which will be attached to uh, the episode if you're looking at it on our website or on uh, the YouTube channel. Brendan, where can people find you in Stella Ruse on the internet? Um, StellaRuse.com. And we always update our show list and all that. And this, you're pretty updated. You're pretty good with the socials. Yep. Instagram, StellaRuse underscore. Facebook.com backslash StellaRuse. Um, it's I always funny you always we, have to remember your own social you're like which yeah. one is which we've done that right? we actually just got a Twitter which we didn't have before Ooh, making some comments yeah is that you are you pretty much in charge of that um, I help but I don't, I don't know how to do Twitter that well I'm learning are you the old man of the group I would say I'm probably one of the old <laughs> yeah. Mark Brown's our uh, in-house old man nice um, what's well, your next show I prefer the wise one <laughs> I'm sure your bandmates would say differently. What's the okay? So this episode's going to air on January the 30th. What is your next show that you know of? So I'm going to promote Escape Artists February 5th. Are you playing that when they release the album? Yeah, they 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 do. They are going to have a short concert, acoustic concert with all of the participants: Mm -hmm. Um, Pete Hill, John Gilbride, Rachel Andy, and myself. Um, so that's what I'll promote today. Stella Ruse, please check us out. We do have some great announcements coming up over the next few weeks for 2019, so stay tuned. Yeah, go follow them on all their socials and everything. And uh, I'll tell you this on recording is that we would love to do something with you guys. If you ever wanted more noise yes. in the studio, we're down to do it. Let's do it, man. Like a combo thing. I would love that. Um, or, or just a or show. Or do a show. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Um, thanks again for coming on, man. If you want to listen to any of the tunes or artists we mentioned on this podcast, please go to our uh, Spotify page, and I'll have the uh, the playlist on our Handbone Relay page. It'll be uh, DCTO, and then the number will be 005, and that'll be the playlist featuring Stella Ruse or Brendan Johnson. Thank you so much for listening. Guys, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Not a problem, man. Peace. Peace out. Thank you so much for listening to Dude. Check this out. Once again, if you want to learn more about Hambone Relay, please go to our website, hambonerelay.com, or go to iTunes to check out our records, or Spotify, which is where these playlists will be located for these episodes. And don't listen to the haters, man. There's plenty of good music out there. You just have to keep looking. See y'all later.